Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? How are you? I'm awesome. We had like 20 centimeters of snowfall on us in Quebec City, and so I feel great. How are you? That's weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's warm here, so that's great. Uh, But I actually fucked up my Achilles tendon last week, so it really sucks. So you're saying that th- this is your this is your classic weakness? That was not a good joke. <laughs> okay, whatever. That was not a good joke. So I'm not I'm not going to give it to you. Um, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't suck as much as this ridiculous error that the CBC made a couple weeks ago that I really really debated talking about last week. And then I regretted not talking about it. So now now we're going to talk about it, even though it's like two weeks out. Just really briefly before the show starts. Is it about how all their podcasts are like these weird deep dives into the far right, but then they will never actually talk to anybody about fighting the far right in like mainstream news coverage? And you're like, what the fuck is the disconnect there? Nora, we don't exist. Why do you think we exist? You keep <laughs> believing that we exist. And it's very weird. <laughs> Right, right. This podcast speaks us into existence, but otherwise we are just mere thoughts in someone's mind. (laughs) No, no, that's not it. Okay. So this is what happened a couple weeks ago. Some of you who are listening may have seen this. The CBC publishes this story. The story is about how um, the Ontario government, Doug Ford, has announced that he is going to be putting $75 million into policing. And specifically a drugs and gangs program, like, you know, the same sort of shit that every politician promised from, I don't know, the early 80s till today. (laughs) That happens every cycle just before an election. Yeah. So he does that. And he is quoted as saying in part of the release in his um, announcement of this, that he's doing this because police budgets are cut all the time. They keep getting cut left, right, and center, and he needs to make sure that that stops and that police actually get the support that they need. It's a quote. Hmm. So CBC tweets this story out, and the tweet is the quote. The tweet just says, um, budgets are being cut over and over, police budgets are being cut over and over again, and this is why... Um, I'm committing 75 million, Doug Ford. Hmm. A lot of people rightfully respond with like, what the fuck? (laughs) This doesn't seem right. Uh, We've been hearing for the last two, three years that actually police budgets don't get cut. Why is this the quote? The tweet gets ratioed. If you go in and read the article, it doesn't even actually say that that's a lie. And so many people um, start saying, hey, CBC, why have you published a story without saying that this is a lie? You should be fact checking this claim that this politician is making in order to justify this really shitty policy move. So CBC deletes the tweet and they update the article. They update the article to do two things. One is it says... The Toronto police budget has this year alone has gone up by this much or something like that. And it also says the Ontario government reduced the police budget in last year by 45 million or something like that. Uh, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? No, I mean, I feel like I feel like that would have been like even the most minorest of victories and we would have all been like, yay, we did it. Well, it is true that the the Ontario government announced that they were going to reduce money going into the operations of the OPP. That is true. But here's the thing, Nora. If you are, and this is the piece that I really want our, our listeners to take away. This is a piece of media literacy that you should know. I was like, cool, CBC uh, deleted the tweet. Cool, CBC apologized for the tweet. Cool CBC updated the story, but why did they update the story like this? To tell us about a budget promise that was made years ago. There is no reason to refer to a budget promise that was made years ago unless 
you're comparing it to public accounts because right now you can check if the Ontario government did what they promised because there's audits and public accounts that you can check to double to make sure uh, that what you're saying is true. Otherwise, you are just printing government spin. And guess what, Nora? Mm-hmm. The police budget did not go down by $45 million, despite the promises <laughs> that the government made. It, in fact, went up. And so the police budgets never went down at all. Doug Ford is predictably talking out of his ass. And the CBC just printed it. And unfortunately, anyone who's read that article, even the updated version, is still getting a piece of police and uh, conservative party propaganda. Well, that seems pretty uh, predictable, I guess, uh, from what I expect from the CBC these days. <laughs> the moral of the story is if you are a journalist who's listening or someone who's reading and you're seeing someone refer to something that was in years past, that was a promise, just always remember, you can check if the promise was real. <laughs> you know, like how things are phrased are really important in telling you what it is that the article is actually telling you. And that article didn't really say much except for word-for-word propaganda from the government at first. Um, And then even when it was updated, same shit. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Some media literacy for, for the listeners. Yeah, well, and this episode is going to be talking about the police, but we have a lot of things we have to get through before we even get to that topic, because this has been a very newsy week. A very newsy week. But before we get to that, even, should we maybe thank some folks? Yeah, this week we have a couple of folks to thank, and I literally mean a couple um, in the lowest number that a couple implies. Um, So thank you this week uh, to everybody who's supported us and shared the podcast and gotten uh, their friends to listen or whatever. And especially this week, I'd like to say thank you to Katerina and Patrick for uh, donating to us for the first time or changing your donations. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And folks should know that, again, if you haven't checked it out yet, Nora's new podcast, um, Take Back the Fight, is uh, available now and you should listen to it. It's quite good. Uh, and she also has a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about the police and media and how you can't really trust necessarily the media to get like the story right. Um, that's what the book is about. It's called Spin Doctors, How Media and Politicians Misdiagnosed the COVID-19 Pandemic. Um, and it's funny because when I talk about this with friends of mine who, I mean, who I, who I don't talk about politics with very often, um, they're like, oh, you wrote a book. What's it about? And I'm like, oh, it's about COVID. And they're like, oh, COVID. Like you're like for it or against it. And what? <laughs> well, because they don't know, right? They're like, oh, no, someone's randomly writing a book. Like, are you anti-vax? <laughs> right? right. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not anti-vax. No, no. But I, I am critical of the government. And I am actually hoping to give people a way to understand why so many people have disengaged from government spin. And that is all in the book. It's out December 1st, which is Wednesday. So if you're listening to us on Wednesday, it's the launch day. If you're listening to us on Tuesday, you can still probably get a copy. Thursday, it'll be out, old news by then. And it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet that this is about to be out. So yeah, I'm pretty pumped, I got to say. Congratulations. Whoop, whoop. Mm, Thanks. Thanks. But um, I don't know if you've heard, Sandy, but there's like a new variant that we all need to be worried about. (laughs) I'm actually kicking myself for last year's prediction that we would be inside the home for two Christmases. Uh, I hope that was so wrong. (laughs) I really hope that that was wrong. (laughs) Please let that be wrong. Yes. Yes. I have heard about the new variant. It is. It seems like that is all that's on the news right now. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen how uh, governments are responding to it. Uh, And I'm predictably very predictably. And I'm also just living in this frustration of like, didn't we say that this is exactly what was going to happen in like the third week of the pandemic? Isn't this exactly what we said would happen like a month into the vaccines being released and realizing that they weren't being released equitably? Mm-hmm. 
Ja. Didn't everybody know that this was exactly the trajectory we were heading towards? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I need a word for this. I mean, after the show last week, Nora and I were talking about this. So like, I need a word for the way that our society has decided to move as though history doesn't exist. Even recent history, like really fucking recent history. <laughs> because, you know, now we're like, you read the news, like, oh, a new variant. How could this have happened? We need to shut everything down. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what are you talking about? We literally talked about, I don't know anything about public health, okay? But I knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> so, so why the fuck? Why the fuck is this weird? What is the word for this feeling of the world moving forward as though history doesn't exist? Um, it's truly the uh, cotton ball time. The time of being packed in a ball of cotton. You're just like, whoa, where am I? I can't see forward or back or side to side because I'm sitting in a cotton ball. I don't like it, but um, I'll work with it. Yes, I got. <laughs> For now, I suppose. <laughs> or foam, packed in foam, packed in uh, little packing peanuts. We packed in packing peanut. You know, I have to say, I am not as worried as I've seen um, the reaction from the politicians has been yet. Um, I think that there's a couple of things that we need to stay very, very clearly focused on. And one, you just alluded to it, the fact that there is not enough vaccination happening in countries that cannot afford lots of vaccines. That's very, very clear. But the other reality right now is that the biggest outbreaks are in Europe, where they've got tons of vaccines. And this is a virus that absolutely exploits capitalism and exploits Western inequalities and Western individual alienation and the fact that community doesn't really exist anymore in Western countries. And so um, for those of us in the West, quote unquote, I think that we need to be watching a couple of things. One, well, I mean, the priority must be for our governments to agree to, again, as we've been saying for more than a year now, agree to these patent waivers, the TRIPS waivers uh, to ensure that companies can make the vaccines uh, without uh, running into intellectual property problems. That's a huge issue. Um, but number two, we also need to be watching how politicians are using this to pivot, as they have just been consistently doing from the start of the pandemic. And so, you know, you have uh, politicians like Doug Ford, who rather than talking about rising cases in his province and in total inaction in the school system or whatever, he's like, oh, yeah, we got to ban flights from South Africa. Like, that's the first thing that he's going to say. Quebec cases are also rising here, and there's been no analysis that I've seen anywhere about why they're rising. Like, they're rising in specific areas, and they're, and they're areas we can look where vaccination's quite low, and so I'm assuming, and this is just an assumption, I totally could be wrong, but that, you know, these are pockets of individuals getting COVID still because the vaccine rate is not high enough in certain communities, but we're not getting that analysis. And so when Omicron becomes the big story. It's just like when Delta became the story and just like when Alpha became the story, which just allowed for politicians, for residential care facility managers, for public health even to say, this is the real threat. It's like, no, 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 no. The real threat is poor ventilation, is not giving resources to the communities that are hardest hit and helping them manage the pandemic. That is the real issue. Um, but the but the variant provides a new narrative that they're just like, oh my God, this is so bad. And then the third thing that everyone needs to watch, and I've been watching for this and I have not seen a definitive answer and I suspect it's just too early to know is what is the actual impact of this variant um, sure it's more virulent but is it making people sicker is it putting people into hospital at a higher at a higher rate and that is really critical because if we all get sick but we're all double vaccinated and it still has protection against severe illness that's a good story that's a good-ish news story and it doesn't mean that we don't advocate for more vaccines or whatever but it is something that we need to keep our eye on because just that something is more virulent in and of itself is not – I mean, that's bad news for public health. But for average people, that's not something that people should be losing sleep over yet. Nora, you are wrong. We just need to shut down the borders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. That'll As do I said, it. history doesn't exist. We, we don't need facts. We just need to shut down the borders. Did you see – the the um, announcement from Israel, by the way, in terms of their travel ban. 
Uh, I saw that they have a travel ban, and Israel, of course, is the country that has administered the most boosters. But no, what's their announcement saying? The, oh, their, their their travel ban is from sub-Saharan Africa. Come on. North, Afri- North Africa excluded. <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> Fucking, of course it is. That's, so that's just, just very... so we're clear, we're just going to add on another layer of racism to this. I expect to see more more uh, announcements like that, actually, that are just straight up anti-black in the way that they're discussed um, uh, as, as this continues. Uh, because I, you know, I'm wondering to myself whether or not this overlaps with the refugee crisis, mm-hmm. migrants uh, seeking asylum in Europe um, in other places and countries deciding to implement quote unquote travel bans that just seem to be keeping black people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's really worth mentioning that it's like the fact that South Africa has sequenced this does not mean that its origins are in South Africa. Like this is a country that has been one of the best in the world to sequence new variants of COVID. And so of all of the countries in the world that would probably find a new variant, it would be South Africa. And and all that indicates is that it is somewhere uh, in the world. I mean, they found it there, but there's a whole part to this about the work that that public health is doing in South Africa that really must be underscored as um, the reason that they're finding this variant. And South Africa is also one of the two countries who, from the beginning, along with India, have been demanding the ability to have the IP waived on vaccines because South Africa has the capacity to make the mRNA vaccines, unlike a country like Canada. And so, yes, watching that, I was struck by how Canada was like, travel ban, except for citizens. And then it's like, yeah. oh, so, I mean, the COVID will just cut, like, COVID doesn't care about who the fuck is a citizen or has permanent residency in Canada. So what the, what the fuck is the purpose of the ban other than to completely inconvenience people and stop them from being able to come into Canada? It's just like, there are other ways to make sure that people are in quarantine and we're, we've never actually done the right thing. So, yeah. So, you know, um, onward as more COVID news, um, the, the COVID, the people who are in place to in places of power to address what's happening, continue to fuck up. Everything is the same as it was. <laughs> Nothing new to see here. Buy my book. It'll be it does all of this. That's all it does. Now, Sandy, I don't know if you saw uh, the federal government made an announcement this past week um, related to sick days. And they're going to give federal employees, so anybody working in the federal industries, which is about, I think, 300,000 employees, uh, federal industries being banks, telecom, some natural resources or oil and gas. And they slipped something else in there that was not related to sick days at all. Did you see this? I did. Um I don't even know what to say about this because it's another example of history not existing. So it is currently like illegal to like threaten people in the world, right? Correct. Yeah, that's <laughs> like not allowed. In in it's like Canadian law that you're not supposed to like threaten people people's lives. So now they're making it more <laughs> illegal, I guess. I I thought it was kind of like an either or thing, but okay. They're making it more illegal to threaten medical professionals Mm -hmm. like that is part of the bill is it's like uh you're not allowed to threaten medical professionals which you were already not allowed to do so (laughs) yeah history it just it's not here you guys (laughs) history just doesn't exist now did you see what the maximum uh sentence is for this law oh no i did not see what it did they make it like is it more you you get more punishment for threatening doctors and nurses now what what did they do well so you 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 use the word threaten which sounds pretty bad right you're threatening somebody that's that's pretty bad the language that from what i've seen is actually intimidate and harass which i kind of feel like is a lower bar than threatening probably is Right. Yeah. So like intimidate and harass, like people say I'm intimidating, like just by fucking opening my mouth. So it's like, okay. Um, And they they jacked the maximum sentence for this for this law. Um, Do you want to try to guess to what it is for intimidation and harassment? Uh, I think probably either or. (laughs) I don't think it has to even be both. Five. No, 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 no. More? (laughs) 
Yes, more. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, for intimidation and harassment, uh, 10, 10 years? Yeah, the maximum sentence is 10 years in prison if you're found guilty of intimidating a medical professional. And I feel like that is a bit much. <laughs> you know what this is going to do? Absolutely nothing because the cops are not interested in, as we've seen, okay, there's like full evidence of this. The cops are not interested in doing anything about the, the anti-vaxxers who are protesting uh, clinics and medical professionals or whatever mm-hmm. because the cops are a part of those groups as well. <laughs> That's part, mm-hmm. part of the issue. But you know mm-hmm. who this will impact? I have some ideas, but uh, please. People who are patients who are saying, you're not treating me correctly to medical professionals. People who are often thought of as not to be believed when they go in and say, I am in pain or I'm experiencing this health impact and I need your support. Uh, and who does that happen to be? Black and Indigenous people. Those people who are saying, hey, stop what you're doing right now. This is not the sort of care that I want, or please care for me in a different way. I imagine what this law will do is empower uh, service providers who are not providing the service properly to certain types of patients, empower them to say, you are now harassing me, and I am going to Uh, call on enforcement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. And it is such a dangerous precedent because, as you said, it's already illegal to intimidate and harass. I mean, harassment's already illegal to some extent. And the idea that you're going to, like, you're going to fucking prosecute someone to put them in jail for 10 fucking years for sending someone a letter saying kill yourself or something. I mean, I, I like you shouldn't be doing that. No one, no one should face harassment. But like number one, no one should face harassment. Not fucking doctors or nurses, but frontline grocery workers and fucking bus drivers who were spat on and has assaulted during this pandemic. We already talked about journalists, right? Journalists, uh, they're not a protected uh, class either. Even though you know there's groups out there that are trying to get the cops involved. Even non-existent podcast hosts who can't come up with. <laughs> the name for what it means when history doesn't exist (laughs) podcast hosts like this may have been threatened many a time and have not seen like fuck like nobody should be threatened (laughs) obviously but the thing is the police don't give a shit about those types of threats that people get they just don't no and i don't know why increasing um, the maximum sentence for the specific type of person that you th- threaten will make the cops do more about it. What? <laughs> They're not going to do anything about it. That part's not no. going to change. No matter how deep you go in the maximum sentence. That's ridiculous. What a ridiculous strategy. Was this even yeah. debated? Well, it was introduced. So we'll see how the debate goes. Um You know, the Canadian Labor Congress did mention that uh, we have to be very careful about whether or not this would be applied to labor negotiations, which is a completely fair thing to say, be careful about, because then the other question becomes, who are medical staff? Like, does that include the management of a hospital who are the literal people who are creating the conditions that will make patients lash out? Right. Because there's an increase of violence, like not only is there violence uh, in the in the related to systemic racism in society, but there's also violence related to ableism within the the healthcare system. And when you institutionalize people and put them on a lot of different medical interventions to try and calm them down or whatever, you increase, increase people's aggression. And when then you short staff everything and people can't get a nurse to come when they're hitting their call button a hundred times, it increases people's aggression. And so you have this like system that is increasing people's tensions and stress and aggression. And the result is that people get violent uh, towards uh, personal care workers and nurses. We know that this is happening. And the government's response is not, okay, well, we're going to force the provinces to then fund hospitals better or pour more money into better wages and working conditions for personal care workers. No, it's just like some sort of fucking legalistic thing where, I mean, a lot of people are going to be in crisis when they're lashing out through, let's say, violence. And we're talking about intimidation and harassment, so we're not even talking about violence. But I imagine violence is included in this because that's the way that people are talking about this legislation. And it's like – 
like, one, how many of these individuals would be found not criminally responsible in the first place? Like, probably some of them, at least. And then the others that it gets applied to will be racist and classist and ableist. And none of the underlying issues are going to actually be addressed. And then just people will be, I don't know, sentenced to jail for 10 fucking years. Like, it's just like... I, I honestly I felt scandalized when I when I saw the Globe and Mail reporting on this and I've been feeling very desperate when I've heard CBC like pumping the fuck out of this. It was like on the current and then on the house and then on white coat black art and it was just like this is great. Doctors really really need help and I'm like, yes, everybody's equal under the law, except some people are more equal. And it's already illegal. I just guys, history yeah. exists. It does. I promise. I, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of doctors out there who made a name for themselves during this pandemic and who found um, themselves receiving hate mail for the first time in their lives or threats. And to them, I want to say, welcome uh, to the club. And if you think that the cops are going to help you, um, and even if they do help you, which they won't, um, it will be at the expense of hurting other people. So you need to be very, very, very careful about the kinds of things you're calling for. And this, this, proposed law needs to fucking be killed and i have very little hope that that will happen but you know it's just been presented now so it, it, there's a possibility that we can convince them to i don't know kill it i mean and this just dovetails quite nicely into the final thing that we need to talk about tonight which is fuck the police fuck <laughs> the police honestly people mm-hmm. people there is literally nothing nothing that they do that is of worth. (laughs) There's nothing, okay? And in this last week, there have been some really fucked up examples of the police attacking our communities again. And uh, whether we're looking at Wet'suwet'en, whether we're looking at Hamilton in Ontario, whether we're looking at uh, Quebec City, something happened in Quebec City, correct, Nora? Yeah, I guess, I mean, we can start there because we don't have, this is where we have the least amount of information because um, some videos were shared on social media on Friday night of the Quebec City police, of a police force that is, oh, what are they? There's 750 members and something like 10 are not white, none are black. But I mean, of the people who are not white, it's only 10 of 700. Like it's one of the whitest forces in Canada. Um, And video is circulated on social media of them just pummeling two black youth and and doing things that like kicking snow in their face like just aggressive vicious violent shit now there's been no comment from the police to say what happened like i don't have any idea what the context is like i don't know if this was a random stop or if this was like whatever there's literally no information that's come out other than the, the what's happening in the video but um, our mayor has been very quick to to condemn it and to say that they're taking it seriously. So we'll have to see what the hell that means. But um, it's, you know, not a surprising um, event to happen. But considering that tonight we're going to talk about issues happening in Quebec, Ontario and British Columbia, it's a good reminder that this stuff is so deeply systemic that it really doesn't matter what city we're talking about necessarily that uh, the police are all cut from the same police fucking shitty cloth yeah as we go west to ontario uh in hamilton there was a protest um against uh the removal of encampments and in support of um houseless people in the city and of course in hamilton is one of the um cities in canada that has um a a very serious, serious problem with houselessness. Um, and, you know, this protest is happening. There's video that you can see of uh, the police going in and attacking protesters and in particular focusing on black protesters at this protest in Hamilton. In one of the, in some of the footage, you can see um, some the police uh, using a their knees on protesters' necks, uh, really beating people up. Uh, and they have now arrested these folks and charged them with assault on a peace officer and obstruction uh, of the police. 
Yeah, and it's important to note that, you know, since the death of George Floyd, we've seen Canadian forces using that technique in particular a couple of times. It's happened, I want to say twice, but at least once in Montreal. And um, that created a lot of outrage and and people protested in in Montreal. And then the, you know, left-wing-ish administration of that city announced that they'd create a new gangs and gun squad, giving more money to the uh, SPVM, the the Montreal Police Force. And it's like, I don't really understand why why throwing money at the problem um, in this way, literally giving the fucking criminals more money to be more violent and to procure more weapons to use against us is somehow... um, like acceptable or acceptable even from a like from a left-wing political party that's a whole other fucking issue but you know i think that i think that we're we're in this moment where um left-wing struggle is pretty low in general terms and there's a couple of flashpoint issues right now that are very very um, exciting if you're on the left it's very exciting and that they deserve all of our support we shall be watching them but i that i think challenge uh, power in a way that um, power sees it and says, no, no, we need to crush these people. We need to crush them in a way that scares other people out of doing what they're trying to do. Um, And we're going to talk about what's happening in British Columbia, but uh, in other parts of Canada, that really does seem to be the encampment movement. So the movement of individuals trying to take up space in their communities through tents or whatever um, and refusing to go into the shelter system, and the underlying reason, the underlying uh, justification for this is, of course, that shelters are not safe at the best of times, and they're certainly not safe during COVID. And we have more than enough data to show that. But it's also a confrontation to this out of control housing crisis that just seems to be getting worse because there's absolutely no organized. Um, like there's certainly no organized partisan reaction to it. And there's very few organized at a national level fight backs that have been coordinated against or advocating for changes or interventions into the housing market to stop this complete runaway train of housing prices. And so you have these, these, these encampments and, you know, Toronto, Hamilton, Montreal, Halifax, Winnipeg, uh, Regina, like where police move in and they really violently break them up. And I don't know if everybody's seen the images from Hamilton, uh, but they are really horrible, except for one image that was shared by one of the people arrested. And I want to shout out Sarah Jama. You can check out the image on uh, Sarah's Twitter feed. And it's this amazing image about of of about of, of her about to be arrested and all of the police around her. And she says, look at this image. Who has the power? Who does it look like has the power in this image? And it's very clearly her. I think you bring up uh, a really good point about um, what activists are doing right now and what the police are doing in focusing on them, because what folks may not be thinking about is what happens in the aftermath of an arrest. And what happens in the aftermath of an arrest is that typically there are a number of conditions placed on the people who were arrested in order for them to be released. Um, And I believe that everyone's been released at this point in Hamilton, which means that it is very, very likely that it is now Uh, impossible for them to continue their advocacy until such point that their charges are dealt with. It is very likely that they have received some sort of um, conditional release that says um, that you are not allowed to to support people who are uh, living in encampments, or maybe you're not able to enter certain um, certain areas to continue to do your advocacy in this park or in this street on this street or whatever it is. That is very likely. It's also possible that some of these activists would have received conditional release uh, um, that would have required them not to interact with one another. I don't know if that's something that 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 they've received. Um, But if it is, all of those types of things are created to crush organizing and to stop that organizing from happening. And again, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that is dangerous, threatening about this organizing? It's not dangerous or threatening to the people who are in the most danger in this situation, which are the houseless people 
it is a danger and threat to the system that wants to be able to control how people live. And the police are effectuating the, um, you know, the, the state uh, power to, to use violence to exercise that control. What is really, really disgusting also about the Hamilton case is, and I don't know if you've seen this, Nora, did you see that the police chief put out a statement? I saw him do a video and I was like, yeah. I don't like that guy's face and I'm not clicking on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the Hamilton police chief put out a video statement in which, you know, first of all, the fact that he had to put out a video statement says that, you know, people are putting the pressure on. So continue to do that. Um, but it says <laughs> it's I mean, it's <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. It says, it, you know, this he says this, you know, we facilitate pre peaceful protest, first of all, is one of the things that he claims. He says those exact words that the police facilitate peaceful protest, <laughs> which is like. No, uh, you don't. Literally, you How do not. How the fuck would you do that? What the fuck <laughs> what are you talking fuck? about? <laughs> what? Ha that is ridiculous. <laughs> you also fucking they... work in daycares. Like, what are you talking about? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, as much as. Um, and uh, they say that, you know, but this, this was not a peaceful protest. Why was it not a peaceful protest? Because they breached, the, the protesters breached a barrier that was put up. Okay, so the, the protesters got past a fence. Uh-huh. And then he continues, and so we charged them with assault. And it's like, hmm, how did you, <laughs> how did you go from, where did you, what is the leap between you got past a fence and we had charged them all with assault? Assault on a peace officer is a serious charge. It's a serious charge that they have placed on these um, activists. Uh, I believe the maximum uh, uh, prison sentence is like 10 years itself. I was looking this up this weekend, which is ridiculous that this is what they've done because as this, because as the Hamilton police chief says, they breached a fence. And that is what makes this a violent, a non-peaceful protest. Like they were the one, like I, we watched the videos. It wasn't the protesters who were kneeling on police heads or kneeling on the heads of anyone. The people who were making this situation unsafe was the fucking police. What the fuck were they doing? He goes on in the statement to say, you know, we support houseless people. We support protests. We support the polit politicians who are trying to deal with this problem. And, you know, we're all in this together. <laughs> he literally says, we're all in this together. We have to solve this um, together, these problems, these social issues together. How the fuck are you involved in solving any of this, police? The best thing you can do is stay the fuck away because all that you have done is made it harder for those advocates to continue advocating. The only reason why people are talking about this is because of the work that advocates like Sarah Jama and other folks who were arrested this weekend were doing. And what you have done is silenced them. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm saying you like the police listen to this. <laughs> I mean, maybe they do. <laughs> some some, thought, some poor knows? motherfucker is paid to for sure. <laughs> hey, buddy. Either way, I mean, I think it's quite obvious, uh, I hope, to our listeners that um, they're not with us at all. They're not with houseless folks at all. They're not trying to solve this problem. They are the result of money being thrown at a problem instead of actual solutions being designed by the people in power uh, in Hamilton and in Ontario. You mentioned this, um, the question of safety and who is actually at risk and who then are the police protecting. And I think it's a really important point that they're not protecting anybody, that there's literally nobody who's at risk with an encampment. There's nobody at risk in either in the encampment or the community surrounding the encampment. There's not actually risk. There might be there might be like disagreements that arise and you might have to like figure out how to work together or coexist or live together or whatever, but there is no actual danger. 
And what the police are doing when they bust in here, in there and destroy these encampments is they are protecting private property and even private property that is ostensibly public property. So if it's in a public park, they're still defending private property. They're, they're both defending these, these common spaces as being spaces that police have ultimate say over who has access to them. And they're defending the principle of private property, which is what what encampments challenge, right? Like, why the fuck is housing a commodity that everybody's gambling through right now? Well, because that's the logic of the fucking free market. And there's no market interventions to help calm shit down and things are getting worse. And so this is like the first the first of what will be many clashes over the question of property. And the police are there to defend property. And this is where um, the connection between Hamilton and Wet'suwet'en is so clear that the police there, again, this is this is like these are encampments that have been organized by indigenous people who have connections to the traditional stewardship of that land. And they are not hurting anybody like fucking not a single person. And in fact, their jobs, they understand their role is to actually protect things and ensure that future generations will have access to a clean watershed, for example. And the RCMP on the order of the province and with the tacit support, probably not tacit even at some level of the federal government, sends them in to break down bust down, set on fire the, the the temporary kind of shelters that have been built by people to to protest the coastal gas link. And I don't know, Sandy, if you saw the video of the cops breaking into one of these houses, but it was very shocking, I thought. It was like guns pointed, cocked, cops screaming at people in their face, people identifying themselves as being either journalists or protesters or not violent, arms in the air, and cops busting in, busting down the doors if it was like the fucking Shining, that movie. And, uh, you know, everyone's arrested and then they literally smash the house and burn like the, the canvases that had been used for other shelters or whatever. And it's like, what is the point of this? Like, this is a region. I mean, we can make this argument for a lot of Canada, but this in particular is a region where there has never been a clear uh, extinguishment of Indigenous title over this land. And so Canada walking in with fucking armed police, busting people, busting down their shit, saying, no, no, this is now the property of a fucking pipeline. It's like you don't even have the authority to do that. But the but the protests represent such a threat to Canadian sovereignty that the stakes are high enough to justify, yeah, fuck, like Canadians might be upset by it, but they're not going to do enough to stop us. And so this is justified. And that's why it happened. And it's going to continue to happen as more and more communities stand up to the federal government and say, no, no, you cannot do this to us. There's so many examples of this sort of bullshit happening. And it just, I continue to wonder, like, at what point are we going to say, fuck this? We don't want police to be doing this type of bullshit in our communities. We don't need the police. They're not here to keep us safe. They are here to pr protect someone's private property, corporations' private property, to protect the way that the system continues to oppress certain people. But we do not need them for what we have been told we need them for. No one was kept safe in any of these three examples that we talk about tonight. And I mean, even thinking about what's happening in Iqaluit, there was news just a couple days ago of how the RCMP had to stop doing uh, their water um, distribution uh, work because of high winds. Turns out, again, the police are not <laughs> the experts on everything that we think that the police are experts in. It's like... <sighs> everything that we we pretend the police are experts in, because I don't think that we actually believe it. I don't think there's anyone out there who actually believes that the police are the solution to, to houselessness, uh, to colonization, uh, to to any of this stuff. I think that it's, it's fucking lazy policymaking, and I think it's fucking racism, it's anti-blackness, it's colonialism, and it's not much else. 
It's not much else. And I just, I like, I'm, I am really impatient. Hmm. I'm really fucking impatient. And I'm tired of this because it is cycles of this. We see this. I mean, gosh, I feel like wasn't it just a year ago that we were having a very similar conversation about what's so it in, Nora? Like, I... It's been almost two years, but uh, time is uh, meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, history <laughs> doesn't exist, as we've established. <laughs> right. um, uh, I just, I'm, I'm really impatient. I'm really impatient. And I'm really tired of having the same conversations. And I'm really, really sick of seeing the same sorts of, of stories over and over again without movement. Like we have, we've talked before about how we have a crisis of democracy, blah, blah, democracy doesn't really exist. But it like, what, what are we going to do about the people in power who continue to ignore the serious threat that police cause to our lives? These are just people who are doing what they can to protect their communities. Those are the people who are working to protect us. Those are the people who are keeping us safe. The protesters in Hamilton, the protesters at Wet'suwet'en, and you know, we still don't know what's happening in Quebec City, but there's lots and lots of examples of, of this, of people who are trying to keep their own community safe being attacked by the police. What is it going to take? I'm just so impatient and I'm so sick of these cycles, Nora. Well, and then thinking back to what we talked about with the doctors, it's like the police, they're not protecting them either. And so the, the, the or sharpest the or the journalists. So the sharpest irony is you have fucking doctors then reach to the police and say, oh, I need a restraining order put on this individual as if people don't get murdered all the time by people who have restraining orders put on them. That is gender based violence. Like that is a fucking feature of the system as well. Or that the journalists can say, well, we want more police intervention. And then, oh, the police arrest two journalists who identify themselves as journalists at Wasoden. It's just like I I think that this this is a I feel like we're in a moment and I've been thinking about this a lot of what do we need to do? What do we need to build so that that impatience is turned into something? Mm-hmm. And it is no it, like we just can't shout into the void and expect it to change because the the liberals operate hand in hand with the cops like that is fucking clear and i think that the more and more that people see this the more and more that they're going to be looking to take some sort of action and blm has been on the like the front line of calling for defunding the police and that was really and is very important but Maybe it's time for like a broader anti-police coalition that can regroup all of the kinds of organizations and individuals who are concerned about the police and who want to see like fucking alternatives to the cops in their communities. And I think it has to go by community by community because we know that there's no political will at the federal level to talk about the RCMP. Like we can't even get fucking the NDP to say defund the the RCMP by any amount. Um, and this at the provinces, it's going to be very difficult too, but community by community there, there is hope for us to be able to change some of the stuff. And so wherever you are, if you're not doing anti-police work, uh, you should be, and you don't need to wait for a moment for a spark to happen. But, you know, so in Quebec city, what I expect is going to happen is there has been, uh, mobilizing and organizing based on anti-racism and questioning the role of police since, well, I mean, since the flashpoints of the far right organizing in Quebec City and 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 the murder at uh, at the mosque and the 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 coalitions that build after that, and so I've already seen people talking within those organizations saying, okay, what are we going to do? And because we just had a mayoral election and we we made police funding and and racial profiling and diversity within the police like a big issue, we know where all the parties stand. And so we actually are going to be able to meet the, the mayor's statement on Monday with some sort of demands and some sort of action. And so I think that's really important. But I also think it's important to then remember that difference between organizing and mobilizing. And I don't know, that that might be where you want to take it from there and finish the episode about how we organize this against this stuff rather than consistently falling back on mobilizing. Yeah. And I mean, mobilizing can be helpful to organizing, but it is important not to confuse the two. Like 
what's part of what this impatience and frustration is, is that we haven't organized enough. We haven't done enough to change more people's minds and to make sure that more people are where we're at in terms of our ideas of, of how, you know, it's so obvious why uh, the, the police, we don't need them uh, and they don't do what they say they have. We have to do more education. But on top of that, on top of doing more education, we actually have to come up with a strategy. Like, what is it going to be? Is it going to be um, uh, just demonstrations? I don't think that that's going to do it. Um, are we going to also be writing about this? Where are we going to be writing about it? How are we going to be writing about it? Are we going to be talking about it? Are we going to engage policy makers? Are we going to create our own um, institutions that are going to 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 um, keep our communities safe and become an alternative to the police? Where you know we're not waiting for policymakers to do it; we're just doing it ourselves and saying this is this is who you call in in our community if you if you need support not the police. All of these things are options that we need to uh, start moving towards, not just doing the mobilization. The mobilization can help us get folks to, to, um, uh, to support with the organizing work that we need to do. But those types of strategies, like how we are going to move forward in creating this, this, uh, a new way of living amongst one another, uh, that is organizing work. It's harder work. It's 95% unseen. It's, it's the hard work that happens behind the scenes of uh, really impactful activists that you, you barely see um, stream to you uh, on social media or on television screens. But it is such, such critical work. I think that on the left, and I think at some point, Nora, we got to do a, a whole episode on this, we've been really, really comfortable with critique and with mobilization, like just critique and then going out onto the streets when we can. And that's, that's lazy. Mm -hmm. It's not enough. Critique is, you, you can only critique so much before you actually have to do something. And like, then it becomes like this weird cycle where we're just like, you know, we're critiquing things and then we're all of a sudden critiquing each other and then we all hate each other and then it's like, it's over, <laughs> you know? We have to, the critique has to be strategic too. Like I said, we, we can do a whole episode on that, but it can't just be critique. It can't just be the mobilization every time something happens. We have to do more than that. And so when Nora said earlier, um, that we're at a low point in leftist organizing. I think that that's what she means. It's like we're not doing much more than those things, and that is a real, real problem because it makes us very, very vulnerable. <laughs>